Druids and cars go into festivals. They can chat about things. It's a druid podcast in cars. Sometimes the best parts of festivals are the discussions that surround them, reflections on what we did and heard, anticipation of what's to come, and processing what it all means in relation to our spiritual work. We wanted to help either introduce you to that phenomenon or extend it for you. That's what this is about. I'm Reverend Jana Vende. And I'm Reverend Michael J. Dangler. We're priests of Arnriach Fane and members of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. We're recording these sessions actually live in cars, actually going to festivals and events, so you will hear road noise, turn signals, and navigation prompts. But that's part of what makes it fun. So... Sit back and enjoy Druids in cars going to festivals. Let's see how this goes. No, Mike needs to get us started. Wait, you want me to sing? I really do. (laughs) Druids in cars going back to Pennsylvania just like Jan and I did a couple of weeks ago today. Etc. Etc. A couple of weeks ago today. Yeah. I love it. Thank uh, I you. I think that counts. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Here's hoping the audio setup catches all that. <laughs> we'll we'll find out. You know, with so our multiple audio high. setups here. It's so many yeah. audio. Well, we don't quite know how this is going to go, and in fact. The other thing that we forgot to do is figure out what topic we were going to talk about. I'm looking at the list. I'm watching Jan scroll over there. <laughs> like, well, they'll tell us in a moment what we're talking about. We should probably talk about something that, you know, we know that we're going to talk about. Uh, the editing elves will get rid of all this nonsense, I'm sure. I don't know. Did you listen to our last episode? <laughs> yeah, I did. There was a little bit of just some downtime. I'm trying to find one that would be good for Mike to also talk about. <laughs> Are you saying there's things that wouldn't be good for Mike to talk about as well? I mean, uh, well, okay, the so priesty things are a little weird for me to talk about because I'm not a priest. How about, man, those deities are jerks when gods don't follow the morals and ethics that we have. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure that we've all experienced I feel like that's something gods. that we could all, all talk about. Yeah, I think so. Now, are we looking at this from personal experience? Are we looking at this from uh, like a historical, general... mythological experience? Mm-hmm. Or, or a sort of abstract theological or whatever, yeah. I mean, I tend to approach it from, like, I, ha- I a lot of times get asked questions about, like, the deities and myths did this, this, this thing, and I'm not okay with that, so how do you still worship them or have a relationship with them? And I'm like, eh, they're stories, but for me, most of it comes back around to, like, it gets very mixed with the idea of suffering to me. How so? Um, like, why is there suffering? Why are deities jerks relates directly to me to the, like, why is there suffering in the world question. Like, if we think deities are more powerful than us, right? They're not all powerful, they're not all seen, but they're probably more than us. Um, and if your patron cares about you, then why... Are they not helping? I can see. So that. the question for me gets it. It comes back to that for me. It weaves back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about it from the other side, and not expecting this to be a whole conversation about theodicy, but here we 
car. Uh, hello, welcome to where my brain lives. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, and to be fair too, I think that I, I, I recall now, I think where this question came from. And in a lot of cases, it's looking at those deities and those myths and saying, you know, Zeus sleeps around with a lot of people. You know, Zeus has a terrible way of managing his anger. Everything. Um, <laughs> yes, Zeus is a wonderful <laughs> argument for, for some of this. But, you know, it's not just the Greeks, obviously. No, I mean, there's no, we just human sacrifice down. in Gaul and possibly yep. other parts of the Celtic world. Norse mythology, uh, Odin shows up and, and changes the course of entire battles because he doesn't like what one person did. You know, those things happen. But those things also don't feel... That's So the stuff that Jan brought up, that's the hard stuff. The, the stuff that you're talking about here, that to me is the easy stuff. Because I have very little difficulty saying, first of all, it's not scripture. Let's be clear. These are myths and stories. But also, yes. it's all transmitted through humans. And humans have our own baggage that we're always carrying around and that gets reflected in the tales that we tell including those about our deities great this episode's over oh wait it's not <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> i mean the stories you know the, the myths they give us they are they are literature they give us a mm -hmm. way to examine how we interact with the world um and i mean i know i know listeners and Michael especially will be very aware of the phrasing that I've used before, which is this idea that spirituality is how we make meaning and mm -hmm. sense of the world and how we exist in, in the world and are able to approach the hard things. Um, and so I, I think that like, why do deities do bad things? Well, the stories are there because they were told by people who also had to process the bad things happening in their lives mm -hmm. in a way that they could then make meaning out of it. Yeah, and I think, too, that the, the stories that people tell reflect their lives in many ways. And for us to, to look and say, well, we need to apply our modern sensibilities to these ways that ancient folk interacted with stuff, our lives are not the same. They're not, not at all the same. That's why I'm not a reconstructionist. The, the <laughs> notion that we don't spend our time, you know, we do not spend our time under the the foot, the thumb of a feudal lord. As you head you know, up I 70 east and for example. Feet. You're still on the fastest route. It's still here. Yes, it is. <laughs> As we um, said, stopped in traffic, yes. Yes. <clears throat> our, our time has gone from 10 minutes of traffic to 16, so this would be exciting. Um, yeah, we're now an hour out from lunch. Um, but yeah, in the ancient world, there were very different considerations. I mean, even the notion of marrying for love mm -hmm. and getting to know the person that you're going to marry before you have to actually sleep with them. Um, is completely different than what we have today. I mean, to be fair, it is circling back around because marrying for healthcare is now a thing. It is indeed a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yes. But hot takes with Jan. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think like that 
so I said earlier, okay, we're done. They're just stories. Humans have baggage. But that doesn't mean that there isn't worth in those stories, right? I mean, yes, we're in a very different place now. Yes, we're doing lots of different things in our human societies, and our gods reflect that. But we also have commonalities. We are still humans living in a human world. And that gets to what Jan was saying earlier about those stories being vital to them then, but also to us to see what literature does, right? To see ourselves reflected and to better understand. And it helps you process. I mean, if we look at, at death deities mm -hmm. and, and, you know, like gods of underworld and battle and such, they're often depicted as cruel or scary or unfair, but death is unfair, right? And like, cruel and scary. And cruel and scary. <laughs> um, and so when people write a story or tell a story um, about um, a, a, about, let's, uh, Hades mm -hmm. saying, you know, to Orpheus, <clears throat> sorry, you looked at Eurydice, I get to keep her, right? Like, uh, harsh, harsh, unfair, really cruel, right? But someone processing, like, why couldn't I just see this person one more time in their life, dealing with that grief of someone dying and not being able to get closure to say goodbye. Like that is the story that could help them relate to that situation and not make it better, like not feel better about it, but process it and make meaning of it in the context of their own spirituality. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. True. There, I mean, there, this does raise interesting questions right i mean uh, it, it has to do with objective truth more than anything else you know if we are talking about people telling stories about the deities that reflect their own needs that reflect their own processing then you end up with this question of uh, are the gods real which is the other place that i didn't expect to be going in this conversation but here we are uh Spoiler, no, I don't think it's incorrect to say that they are not real. It was really complicated. The gods are real. Uh, but... The stories that we tell about them. Not necessarily in the, in the, in the way that we sense. mean it. Yeah. Also, <clears throat> human experience, there's basically nothing that's new. <gasps> so, telling a story about this situation that happened amongst gods and heroes, not unreasonable that it would have happened to them. Like that doesn't make, that doesn't to me make them less real because that's a, that's a human, like that's, that happens. Yeah. Um, uh, and sure, maybe that story was embellished, but so is the story that I tell about you to my other friend like you know right, yeah. like, um that doesn't make it not real it doesn't mean it didn't happen um but i don't think it's unreasonable to say that these things disqualify the existence of the gods wow we're having this conversation but yeah but... <laughs> i had a thought but i was distracted by the people driving down the grass in the median. Uh, I, I am often distracted, especially when, when traffic stops. I'm like, I've lost the thread of the conversation. Where am I going? Oh, the okay. So, yes, the gods are real or maybe not or probably, but who knows. Um, 
the question, though, at the heart of this that, that kicked us all off was, okay, sure, it's a story. We're processing things. What do I do with it then when this God that I may or may not feel a way about already is a jerk? Like, if I, yeah. if I have a devotion to deity A or whatever, and then they're really kind of an asshole, what do I do with that? Yeah, and I think that's what we're trying to figure out is how to manage that. Now, I'm very fortunate. Most of my deities have no actual literature associated with them. <laughs> it's all iconography, and none of that iconography is, you know, murdery, I which mean, there, is good. There is, again, the whole, you know, human sacrifice. There is. Portion. There is. Um, but which is not people... really well in line with our modern values. Sentinels. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, human sacrifice is a thing that humans do yeah, yeah. Uh, for deities. Not that necessarily we have, especially in Gaulish, that I have something where I can say, oh, well, clearly the deities required that. Mm, um, I can look at it through a bunch of different sociological lenses and I can say, well, you know, what are you going to do with a whole bunch of prisoners? You kind of feed them, right? Or you can sacrifice them. There's, there are other factors that go into things like human sacrifice that... These are things that humans do to each other um, that I don't have to deal with because I don't have a myth mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the deities have required a human sacrifice. Have required uh, pairs of chil- 14 pairs of children exactly. to go into the Minotaur maze. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, those, those myths may actually exist, but I'm never going to hear them because nope. I don't have the source material to hear them. Um, and so I don't usually have to deal with that sort of experience. Oh, I hear lots of them because Greeks have myths for everything. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that comes back down around to what Mike said at the very beginning. These are not scripture. These are stories Mm -hmm. and they are legends and they are myths. And we need to not treat them as scripture first as true and unchangeable experiences that everyone should be able to share or everyone must share. And I think that's part of the, the way to start thinking about these things, at least from that perspective. So, Mike, mm-hmm. you work with arguably a fair number of, quote, scary deities <laughs> yeah. or spirits yeah. um, who m- may not have a lot written about them, but at least have the the modern practitioners a lot of times view them as frightening, scary, I don't know. Um, how have you, because you don't have that relationship with a lot of them, right? Which relationship? Oh, the, uh, Like a, a scary adversarial kind Yeah, of I mean, and... Like, how have you walked that? Man, you're getting deep into my own you imposter sh- syndrome here. Share but, as you much know. as or little uh, as you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like, for example, you're talking about, say... Actually, the Kalyach is an easy one. That is right? what I was thinking first, okay. yeah. So the Kalyach, if you don't know, uh, Irish-Scottish deity, the hag of winter, she's scary. She brings in winter and death and destruction of the cold. The way that I dealt with that one is not by denying the fact that she's scary. Because, I mean, winter can be scary, right? You've got the gale. You've got the storm. You've got freezing to death. But I got around that by thinking about the other things 
that come with winter. So winter is necessary ecologically, right? It, it triggers a lot of different growing season uh, plant processes. It controls insect populations. It gives various uh, animals, including humans, time to rest. Uh, it, it's a really valuable part of the cycle. Or from a social aspect, like there's a reason that we've got all the sort of mm, family-oriented, group-oriented feasting holidays in the winter. Uh, you got to stay inside and you have to keep your spirits up. But that's also a gift that the winter brings. So thinking about Achaliach as not just the scary winter lady, but instead as this complex figure, this complex embodiment of natural forces that has some bad, some danger, but that's just, that's just a part of the overall schema. Does that sound about right? Sounds like you don't reduce uh, the deity to one particular aspect, but try and take them as a whole. Yeah. In many ways. I mean, to put it <coughs> super simply there, um, but the, the notion that, yeah, there are parts that I may be uncomfortable with, but there are other parts, too, that I can look at and I can find those, I, don't know, I wouldn't call them necessarily redeeming qualities, but... Uh, I was going to go with silver linings. <laughs> or even yeah. just the bits that I can connect to. Yes. Because right? I think there probably are people out there who connect to the, quote, scarier aspects of Kaleach. And that's not me, but other people might, and that good on them. Yeah. I mean, I, I know plenty of people who are, you know, Morgan, oh, devotees, who really really feel that death calling and those scary aspects and those are things that really speak to them a lot mm -hmm. and that may not be everyone's experience and you know, I, I've, we've all met someone who thought that the Morrigan was the god of flowers so <laughs> you know I mean, that Everyone connects differently. Even in, a, in talking about the Morrigan and people who relate strongly to the death aspects, I mean, like, I know a couple of them who are either in training or practicing death doulas. Yeah. Like, yes. that is one of their callings. So, yeah. And it's... Some things can be scary, but also you can recognize the need for them. You can draw those things into your work and you know, make it not terrifying <laughs> for yourself at least. Well, and I also, I want to come back around to what Mike said about the aspects that he connects to is that assurance that everybody's a little bit of a jerk sometimes. <laughs> Everybody is. And you don't have to like all parts of all things. Yeah. And to have meaningful like everyone has their like line in the sand things and those are good and fine but you you decide what those are and just because you don't connect or like endorse I guess what a deity has done in their myths does not mean that you have to like completely negate or like void a relationship or negate 
relationship with them. Yeah, and I, I think it's worth noting, you use the word endorse, I think it's worth noting that worship is not necessarily an endorsement. I oh, mean, I mean, like, I totally agree with that, but I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, you just because you are friends or, or you, you work with somebody, that doesn't mean that you are all about what they do all the time. I don't think that the guilt and contagion there is necessarily as as likely or as strong. I mean, that also goes into a whole other discussion of, like, that we can tackle some other time, possibly, that um, actions are what matter to pagans in the world, and yes. if you are not actively doing those things, just because Nazis have co-opted some of your deities does not mean that you are a Nazi for believing in those deities because right. the, the triangle of A, B, C relation words. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I get you. I know where you're going with that. <laughs> yes. I think that there are there are always going to be actions that particularly people in the past have done or that deities in the past have done or that show up in our our literature that don't fit our modern sensibilities and they may be you know really fairly heinous acts um there's all sorts of unwanted sexual advances for example that i would never condone from anybody in a modern context um but when i look at the literature and when i read the stories there is a there's an understanding that this is a different time and I don't have to say that was okay in order to... To have allowed your deity to change with the times? Exactly. Because these do <laughs> take place 2,000 years ago and we believe in limited deities, right? Yes. Limited and deities. changeable deities yep. as well. They are changeable and because they don't know everything, they don't have power over everything, it stands to reason that they will change, that they will find different ways of expressing themselves that matter to us. And I think that's an important thing to remember too, is that we need to give people and deities, we need to give deities in particular the, the space to not be who they were. 2,000 years ago. That's one of the points in my personal clergy council code of ethics. <laughs> is I will allow people uh, room to grow, I think. Or I will accept that people can grow or something like I forget the exact wording I used. But yeah. yeah. I'm just back here. I feel like I should be back here with a bingo card as we <laughs> hit some of our like major topics of controversy and discussion and <laughs> neo-paganism. Like, oh, good process theology. Excellent. Good. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> yeah, you'll you'll find that we do that. Oh, oh I I I'm well aware. <laughs> you do listen to the podcast. I do. I do. <laughs> I'm not just a member. I'm a president. <laughs> well, I mean, I in a lot of ways, I'm not I'm not always sure that that helps. But those are kind of the ways that I have dealt with that in the past. Um. The other thing that I know has come up from time to time is what happens when you have made all of your offerings, when you've asked all your questions, when you've done all the work, and you think you've done everything that the deities have asked you to, and they still say no. 
I mean, they are individuals. They're not vending machines. Yes, so. they're not vending machines. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, maybe what you needed to learn was to hear no. Well, and I, I, I think that it is also important not to always make an assumption that it's about forcing you to learn something. And this guy just will not let me over. He's just decided he's gonna pour out me. And... Yeah, okay. Um, people. Indeed, people. Uh, but it's not always about a lesson. Sometimes it's outside their power. Sometimes they promise things and they don't deliver. Not because they don't want to, but because they can't. Because there's some other some other thing that holds them back. And I think that that is a useful thing to remember as well with not all powerful deities. Sometimes they literally just can't do. Yes. Even, even if though, they want to. Even if they want to, even if they tell you they're gonna, sometimes they can't. And you know, that's rough. It's always rough. Um, but I think it's also accurate. Yeah. Road noise has changed, so I'll have to fix that post. Your car just welcomed us to West Virginia. Oh, did it? Yeah. Well, we just crossed into West Virginia, so, you know. Well, we'll be here for the next 15 minutes, and then we'll be back in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and there's more to come. We welcome your ideas and questions. If there's something you would like to hear us discuss in a future episode, please drop us a line at druidsandcars at threecranes.org. If you'd like to donate, you can do so at threecranes.org slash donate. Druids and Cars Going to Festivals is a production of Three Cranes Grove ADF in Columbus, Ohio. Our theme song's lyrics were written by Arthur Shipkowski, and the music is written and recorded by Mike Beershank. Learn more about our grove at threecranes.org and more about druidry at adf.org. As always, keep circulating the tapes and let us pray with a good fire.